So, so my name is Mark, I'm part of the leadership here at Jubilee, and this is our third message of Advent. We're looking forward towards Christmas, and we're going to focus today on the first section of John 1.14. I, I had a bit of a cough this morning, but I came to, I came to the meeting and realised I'm in good company. We sound a bit like the Frog's Chorus, but with coughs. Okay. So we're going to look at the first section of John 1.14, which says this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Greek for the Word is a word called logos. And in Greek philosophy, and this, this passage was written to an audience that understood Greek philosophy. In Greek philosophy, Logos is the intermediate agency by which God created material things. So let me put it another way, probably no simpler. Logos is the bridge between the transcendent God and the material universe. So this use speaks to the then present day world but also in John 1.14, we're only 14 um, verses on from John 1, which, which explains, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos, the Word of God, is not just the agents of God, not just the bridge between the transcendent and the material world, but the Word is God. Uh, it, it explains that Jesus is fully God. And there's an echo here of the start of Genesis. So Logos, the Word, the agency of God, but the fullness of God being the agency of God. And Logos is, is a, a Greek word that's used and translated word, but it's one of two different Greek words that are used in the New Testament. Logos is one, and the other is rima. And as Christians, we sometimes, if we study, come across the, the word rima, because we talk about rima being the now word of God. You know, when the Holy Spirit is on the meeting and someone has a sense of something, it's the now word of God, what God is saying to me right now. Or it can just be translated as an individual word, the rima of God. But logos is not the individual word. It's not the now word. Logos is the complete word. So it, in terms of like, like a book, the rima might be a sentence, but logos would be the book. It's the complete story. Jesus is the logos of God. He's a complete word. You know, back in the day when I was at school, uh, English was different back then. Nowadays, in primary school, they studied what sounds to me like PhD-level stuff about clauses and subclauses, and I don't really understand any of that. It was different back in my day. It was like this. A noun is a naming word. Chair, book, microphone. A noun is a naming word. I mean, I didn't actually get much further than this. But an adjective is a describing word. And a verb, and Jesus 
is the verb of God. He's a doing word. He's a doing word. Folks, Jesus is the word of God. He came into the world to seek and to save. The word of God is an alive and active word. And the word became flesh. And here's the thing about flesh. It's a bit rubbish. Flesh is... Well, you know what I'm saying? And I bet you know this line. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is... And most of us are not particularly happy with our flesh. When we look in the mirror, we don't go, hey, you're looking sharp today. Uh, do you know how much the diet industry is worth? Well, no, you don't. Obviously, you've not looked it up. But, but it's a rhetorical question. Do you know how much the diet industry is worth in the UK per year? Well, let me tell you, the diet industry in the UK is worth £2 billion per year. People are not particularly happy with the state of their flesh and spend money to try and improve it. And that's people who might want to lose a few pounds. That is dwarfed by the beauty industry. People who look good are not happy with their flesh and spend money to look even better or slow down the fade. So the, the beauty industry in the UK is worth £27 billion in 2020. And the point is this, you know, we don't look in the mirror and go, flesh is great. And... And we're talking there about a couple of things. We're not even talking about health. We're not even talking about the fact that this body is subject to decay. And it's really interesting that the word here is flesh. You know, it's not that Jesus took on bodily form. It's not that Jesus became a human. But instead of using a word that's got slightly more positive overtones, he goes for the weakest, the weakest the flesh. And he embraced all of our weakness in becoming fully human. He embraced all our weakness in becoming flesh and he entered the world not as a full-grown adult but in the frailest, in the frailest form possible, a newborn baby. Now, I, d I don't know if you've seen some uh, nativity scenes but there's there's some full-on toddlers masquerading as babies in some of these nativity scenes. There's some kids that they can walk and talk, and they're, you know, and they're, they're there in the manger. They're kind of like kicking the thing down. But when you see a newborn, it's tiny, and it's helpless, and it is completely dependent on others. And Jesus stepped down from heaven and became flesh. And flesh in all its weakness. At the time when Jesus entered the world, it was 0 AD. I think they wrote that afterwards rather than at the time. But at that time, the Jews were looking for a saviour. They were looking for a messiah. They knew their saviour was coming. And they'd heard prophecies of one who would come and transform everything and bring about the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And, and there's a, a passage in Luke 2.25 about a devout Jewish man called Simeon, a man of faith. Let me read it to you. There's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon 
who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to him, hang on, let me, uh, let me, let me try that again. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what, was, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. And I just wonder, did Simeon see it coming? He's a devout man, he's praying, he's got a word from God. He's got a word from God that he's going to see the Messiah. Did he see it coming that it was going to be a tiny baby? I'm not sure he did. And Jesus came not just into our physical nature, but also he came subject to the customs of the law. Subject to the customs of the law. He was in the temple to be circumcised in line with Jewish tradition. And it's like that Christian song, you know, you laid aside your majesty, you gave up everything for me. Laid aside your majesty and gave up everything. So here's a line, which it sounds a little bit like a palindrome, so maybe I'll say it a couple of times. But it talks about the importance of Jesus becoming human. As Jesus becomes human, we call that the incarnation, the fullness of God in human form. Man came to be the Son of God because the Son of God became man. Where are we? Where are we, all of us who have said, Jesus, I want you in my life to be my Lord and my Savior. We are at the right hand of Father, of the Father. We are co-heirs with Christ. We no longer have a sin nature. We're new creations in Christ, and we're in God's family. We are sons of God. Man, us, became a son of God. It was made possible for us to become a son of God because God became a man. So this is pretty deep. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase and explain one of the archbishops of the early church. And he wrote about the importance of the incarnation. He wrote about the importance of the word becoming flesh. So he's called Athanasius. And he was the bishop of Alexandra. So this is God. God saw that corruption held humanity, that it was the penalty for transgression, the penalty for sin. And he saw man's universal liability to death. You know, it says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm sorry, this isn't a Tinslam Bing Crosby sermon. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man has a universal liability to death. So he, the mighty one, the artificer of all, the craftsman creator of all, he took himself a body, a human body, took it for his very own as the instrument through which he was known and in which he dwelt. He wasn't God 
with a body. He was fully a physical human. The fullness of God was also the fullness of humanity. Now, back in the days, Willy Wonka had a recipe that made 105%. You know, God goes a little bit deeper where we've got fully God 100% and fully human 100%. And I don't know how you can have 200%, but, but in this case, you can have 200%. Though thus taking on a body like our, our own, because all our bodies are liable to the corruption and death, he surrendered his body in an uncorrupted state to death and offered it to the Father. And this he did out of sheer love for us, so that in his death all might die, and the law of death therefore be abolished. Because having fulfilled in his body that for which it was appointed, death was therefore voided of its power for men. This he did that he might turn those in corruption to a state of incorruption, to make them alive through death by the appropriation of his body and by the grace of his resurrection. He became fully human. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus, the God-man, did not. Lived incorrupted human life. The plan was always for us to live in eternity with, with God, but corruption took us away from that. But he laid down his uncorrupted body, and as he lay it down, he took on his shoulders the corruption of us all. He took on his shoulders the sins of the world, that the sacrifice of all sin was carried by the sinless one. And that by associating with him in his death, then I can be raised to life in his resurrection. That my spirit becomes alive in Christ. And it's, it's a bit like this. He said, you know, he'd make death disappear from them as utterly as straw from a fire. Or in the word it says, he'll remove your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And we know the north and the south are the poles of the planet. And as soon as you get to the north, you're heading towards the south. But when it comes to the east and the west, they just keep going and going and going and they're separated by infinity. So the word became flesh. And the point of Jesus' birth was so he could die. The point of him coming into the world in bodily form was so that he could die. And that's why when the wise men came, they brought, they brought the gold, they brought the frankincense, but they also bought, brought the funeral balm. They also brought the myrrh. The whole point of Jesus, the full word of God, coming into bodily form was to die. To die in a way that makes a way for you and makes a way for me. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And dwelling literally means this. It means to live in a tent. Um, but it's more than that. It's more than, it's more than just living in a tent. You know, if, if you think about the Old Testament, if you think about the Israelites, if you think about 
people in a desert, it actually, for Christians, living in a tent means an intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. Even as he lives in an unbroken communion with the Father during his days on earth, the same dwelling that Jesus had with God is for us to have with Jesus. And some, other, some other versions of the Bible use the word tabernacled rather than the word um, tent here. And, and in the Old Testament, there's a thing called the tabernacle of David. King David has a tent where 24 hours a day there's praise, there's worship. It's something about, you know, it's a 24-hour praise party. There's something about being in the presence of God. It's, it's also talking about the tent of congregation, a place where people gather, not a place that people pass through. And there's something about dwelling in a tent that, that works for a desert people. But I think it's maybe just as simple as this. It's maybe just as simple as sharing a cup of tea. It's maybe just as simple as the way me and you, we might go for a coffee together. The dwelling is just as simple as in the same way you have someone in your house and you share a cup of tea with them. Jesus chooses to dwell with humans. He is among us, with us, and in communion with us.